0: Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Brown and steel. Oh. candles out.
1: Come on, Rips, get with the game here. Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. It's your boy Adam Taylor bringing you the best of British. And I'm joined by Brendan Nunes. No Tim today. Tim's away doing some stuff. I don't know what he's doing. Brendan returns half dead from the flu. Oh, I think it's that coronavirus that got him to be honest. Brendan, how you doing, my guy?
0: I'm good, man. I've been making sure to not drink any coronas, so I don't think it's the coronavirus. I'm pretty sure I'm clear of that. But yeah, being sick has been terrible. I feel like you said, back from the dead. <laughs> I have some sort of physical energy again today. You've risen,
1: you've risen and returned to the basketball world. Nobody's seen anything from you, dude. No tweets, no articles. I know. You just disappeared, man.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's terrible.
1: Not gonna let that happen again. I mean, I just thought you were slipping, dude. It's one of them things. But have, while you've been half dead, lying on the bed, feeling sorry for yourself, have you seen any basketball? Or, or are we just? Of getting, course, of like course, that. I have here. Because it's been one of them. It's been one of them weeks, dude. I mean, this episode, as it is every week now, is looking at what's going on around the league. There's been hella things going on around the league. There's been some guys just putting up crazy numbers all week. All week, dude. People just been dropping dimes on everybody's dime.
0: Yeah, some people seemed ready coming out of the All-Star break. And, like, other... Not only people did not, but, like, defenses have been horrendous coming out of the break. Like, I mean, we can start with like Trey Young with 50 against Miami. It's like you don't expect, I mean, Trey can drop 50. He, he just is capable of doing that. He's that type of player, you know, gets to the free throw line ridiculously. But against a defense as good as Miami's, Miami was just not locked in at all. And it was their first game back from that all-star break. And there's plenty of times teams are... Not locked in after that. These dudes just got off a nice little vacation, probably overseas somewhere, you know?
1: I wouldn't mind being overseas right now. It's cold
0: as anything. It's been snowing all day. But imagine yeah. playing in Miami, and you're like, no, nah, I need a vacation.
1: I know. Could you imagine? I mean, right. that's, the, that's the life of a millionaire, though, dude. We never understand that, that spectrum that they live in. Um, looking at it, though, Trey Young, in that game, got to the line to shoot 19 free throws, bro. Sunk 18 of them dude. Only missed one free throw all game. That's like it's crazy. I mean he got eight assists as well. Let's not forget the fact that he got but he had seven turnovers.
0: So Yeah, that free throw that free throw stuff is is crazy with Trey. Like he's just so sneaky with it and he has so much respect of the officials already. Like, you know, Tatum does that type of stuff and like because he's bigger, it doesn't like Knock him off as much so it doesn't look as bad. So I think part of like being smaller is that when you do get bumped, it looks more dramatic. Um, So the refs will pick up on that a little bit more. But he's definitely got that like Devin Booker sort of when uh, a guy's trailing you or goes over the screen um, that, you know, if he's on your hip, you just kind of a little bit of a bump and you throw it up and you get a whistle, which is such BS. Like I hate watching that basketball, but you're going to get that call.
1: I want to be like Trey Young and just get to the line every time I'm on the floor, dude. Do you know how much easier life would be playing pickup?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely would be. I mean, 19 times is 19 pretty times. crazy.
1: He, his shooting splits were good as well. Like he went 12 for 25 from the field, 8 for 15 from deep. The Duke can put up numbers, but when you're turning around in your second year saying, I need more help and you're one of the worst defenders in the league, if not the worst defender in the league. Like, What are you doing, dude? Just be quiet and put up your numbers. Because for every point you're scoring, your inability to close out on the the offensive team just ruins you. How, How can you be asking for more help when your numbers are pretty much empty numbers because you're giving up as many as you're putting up?
0: Yeah, I mean, Trey is ridiculous on offense, don't get me wrong. But you're totally right. Like, I mean, it's hard to ignore how much of a negative he is on the defensive end. I don't don't see how he's ever going to be. I mean, he's the worst defender in the league right now. And I I just don't see how it gets much better. Like, he's always going to be. It's funny to say, like, Isaiah Thomas, because, I mean, the Celtics were somewhat successful with Isaiah Thomas. But at the same time, you see your whole defense has to revolve around hiding him and Trey is clearly better than IT obviously like the the playmaking that Trey makes and the reads that you see come from from Trey young are just on a different level but yeah i mean it's hard to ignore that defense and it's going to make it real difficult for him to ever be one of these like can he ever really be the best player on a championship contending team i don't i don't think so like when you have that much of a glaring weakness that's not even in one spot or anything it's an entire half of the game you are horrendous and by yeah. the way he's not like that 19 free throws is only it is not in the top 10 of this year by the way it's like all james harden with 20 plus anthony the, anthony davis has the most this year with 27 free throw attempts in a game
1: i feel like as the seasons go on he's going to be one of the league leaders in free throws attempted per game the other thing he needs to do, though, is he needs to start taking care of the ball more. Your eight assists are negated by seven turnovers. When I look at that, I'm like, so if they scored off all seven turnovers, effectively you had one assist. Yeah. That's, the way, be- I did, that's the way I deduce it when I'm looking at that sort of thing. Right? How effective were you? Okay, you had eight assists, but seven turnovers. You scored 50, but you were allowed up 40. So if you start looking at it like that, you had 10 and one. I know it doesn't work like that, but that's the way I deduce effectiveness when I'm looking at players like this.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, And, you know, it's a little difficult for Trey because he's the only guy to sort of initiate on this team. Like Herder's decent at it. Um, And, I mean, the turnovers thing, like I kind of give him a pass for now because he's just a young playmaker. Like you see it happen with guys, but you're right. It's something that definitely needs to improve for him.
1: So sticking with the Hawks just for a moment, John Collins had himself a night I think it was towards the tail end of last week, and it was against Dallas, where he went for thirty five points and seventeen rebounds. Thirty five and seventeen, dude.
0: Yeah, that that's ridiculous. Um we talked about it a little bit before we press record, like all the John Collins hype disappeared since he uh since he went down with that or since he got suspended. Uh and yeah, I mean, he's definitely capable of doing that. He's a double-double machine. He's uh, it's stupid athletic, the double bounce that he has. He's doing surprisingly well from three this year, which is just great to see from Collins, especially. And what I'm going to really be interested in is once a, um, Clint Capella comes back from that plantar fasciitis, um, how him and Collins fit. Because if Collins is knocking down 37% of his threes, uh, or even, I mean, if you can get a little less than that, 36, 35, like if he can be respectable from three, then maybe this works. But yeah, it, it's a nice game from from John for sure. Um, that that Trey and Collins pick and roll works well. I'm curious to see how it goes when Capella's there as well. So
1: listening to the Zach Lowe podcast... I think that was at the tail end of last week as well. They were saying that this move for Capella pretty much cements the fact that Atlanta are looking at John Collins as a power forward at this point. They're going to utilize him as a stretch four. In that game against Dallas, he went three for three from deep. He went 13 of 18 overall. I feel like he could actually probably take a bit of a leap forward playing at the four instead of the five. His body is more suited to the four than the five, I think.
0: Yeah, what do, you, what do you sort of define these as? Like For me, I think it's mainly on the defensive end, right? It's like, who do you defend?
1: Yeah, and it's where you're taking up position on offensive sets as well. So if you're playing the five, I'm going to expect you to be at the beginning of a half-court set. I'm going to expect you to either be around about the free-throw line or just coming towards the three-point line to facilitate in a pick-and-roll. If you're a four, I'm going to expect you more towards the elbow. And then on defense, again, it's your matchups and it's what part of the helpline you're going to be covering.
0: Right. And I don't know what he really is going to be good at defending necessarily, but I don't think that he's a a rim protector by any means. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but I think that the place that he's best is as a role man in the pick and roll. And it's just not going to happen with with Clint Capella there also, you know, like that's going to be a little too clogged. So you're right. This definitely does show um, show Atlanta's cards that they see him as a four. Um, it, I mean, as we talk about Collins, I, I can't help but keep thinking of Bagley. Um, really similar here with this whole, are they a four, are they a five? And yeah, Atlanta's committing to... I'm just curious, you know, I think that you're going to see a lot of men alongside Collins... Um, now that they got him back, so that way Collins can be this role man a bit here because, yeah, the, sh- the spot-up shooting is is coming along, but it- it's hard. Like I mean, I do think that the best use of John Collins is pretty clearly as a role man. So I don't know. When you have a, a five that's not going to stretch at all, the defense, he's definitely going to help Collins, uh, Capella that being. But the offense, I-, I have a lot of fit questions here.
1: I'm expecting to see him run a lot of flares. A lot of flare screens, a lot of double stat screens, trying to get him open in the corners. And the more he's scoring, the more he's going to open up those driving lanes. And he has got the ability to pull it on the floor a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too happy if I saw him getting the ball around about the elbow free and then expecting him to drive all the way into the lane. That's not his type of game. But definitely, maybe run him on a flare screen and then try and get some pick and roll action coming off the elbow to free him up for a mid-range shot or to catch him as the roll man then using somebody like Capella for some vertical spacing looking for that lob I think that's going to be a way they're going to use Capella as well it is the threat of the lob to Capella to open up a secondary man that might be cutting to the hoop and that might be John Collins playing off ball more and utilizing the pick and roll but not being involved in the pick and roll
0: yeah, that's a good point. And if any point guard is going to be able to identify uh, the right man to make that pass to, I think Trey is definitely up there. I mean, he's probably already a top five passer in this league, top 10. Um, and yeah, that's a good point. I think Atlanta could have some of the best vertical spacing uh, in the league once the, both of those guys are healthy. And by the way, I mean, um, what's his name? Capella's injury is a major question mark. So like, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he returns from this heel issue.
1: That's the other thing as well. I mean, they've picked him up. They can have a look at him if they're not happy with him. They can start looking at making contingencies. But this is definitely showing that they're solidifying John Collins at the fore. For me, the biggest thing that Collins needs to work on now then is his off-ball movement and off-ball cutting because that's where he's going to be causing most of his damage at this point. Deadman, how do you feel about Deadman going back to Atlanta?
0: Um, I'm somewhat happy he got out of Sacramento, I guess. Like, he was just terrible. And His three-point shot seems to come back around a little bit. Um, but I think this is a way we can move into another guy we want to talk about. We just saw, uh, Deadman get absolutely destroyed. And he's had a foul trouble issue for most of his career. And we saw it again last night against Joel Embiid. Um, the only guy that Atlanta somewhat could throw at Joel Embiid is Dwayne Dedman. And Dedman just gets foul after foul. Joel Embiid loves his pump fakes, get to the free throw line, ridiculously out of the post. And Joel Embiid ends up with a career-high 49 points on Dedman and the Hawks. And it's like, nice, you know, happy to see Joel Embiid get this career-high. He had a crazy fourth quarter. Um, I was actually watching the entire game, and, like, Atlanta games are so weird to watch because Atlanta's just getting their butt kicked the entire time and then somehow comes back and makes it close and then Embiid just destroys them in the fourth quarter. Um but yeah I mean I, I don't know how much how much stock do you think you can put into forty nine points from Joel and beat against the Atlanta Hawks. Like and at home. Philadelphia does this at home, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm not putting too much stock into it until I see it regularly, regardless of who it's against. The Sixers have been showing a lot of chemistry issues. They have performances like this and then follow it up with like a shocking loss. Having somebody like Dwayne Dedman against him that's just catching fouls off them pump fakes, he's gonna let them be get to work, he's gonna grow in confidence. I'm not putting too I'm not too worried about the Sixers at the moment. I need to see more consistency from them both at home on the road before I start to feel like they're figuring stuff out. It's nice to put up forty nine points. Don't get me wrong. And for Embiid, after declaring himself the best player in the world, it was uh, he needed to back it up, right?
0: Yeah, he did clarify after the game that it's not like quite what he meant. Uh, and he dropped a little f bomb in the post game, saying "screw it," pretty much. Yeah, I am the best player. You know, I mean, whatever. It's good. To, Joel Embiid has every right to feel that way about himself. I mean, he's on that caliber of players, so it's good to have that self confidence. But yeah, I mean. 49 is still something, you know, um, but yeah, it's not the best sort of team to do it against. It's a guy like when you're playing against freaking Bruno Fernando, a, I believe, second round pick um, for 20 minutes, then, I mean, Joel Embiid definitely should be dropping that that sort of numbers. And there's no Ben Simmons, uh, who is going to be reevaluated in two more weeks here. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice for Embiid.
1: All I'm saying is when you're dropping 40 plus points on the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron and AD both on the court, then you can come and talk.
0: Right. I mean, shoot, 41 against the Lakers, definitely better than 49 against the Hawks. That's
1: all I'm saying, dude. If you want to start declaring yourself the best in the world, start doing it a bit like a, a player in green has been doing recently. Until that point, you're just a good center that's, feasting on low-level teams and when you're coming up against real opposition you're struggling to get your game plan to work and i I get it that's team issues as well as just individual matchups but the guy in green went and dropped 41 on ad and lebron james i don't see him be doing that
0: yeah and i mean if you just look at tatum's last set of games he's been he's been ridiculous like he had that 39 against the clippers um a very casual 28 against Minnesota because I mean, it's just Minnesota. He wasn't needed very much, but then 41 against the Lakers. Um, I mean, the guy has just been absolutely killing it in the way that he's able to run a pick and roll, um, and score out of that. We've seen him develop a little bit of like this floater off the glass game. Um, It's cool also to see like Jalen Brown, there was a quote, I don't have it in front of me of Jalen pretty much saying like, Tatum is playing like a superstar and we have to ride with him now. And it's really cool to see Jalen recognizing that as well because I don't know if you felt this, but I've always almost felt like a, uh, like a a friendly competitiveness between them in regards to like who's going to be the better player. And like, as much as we know it's Tatum, like I always feel like, there almost is a friendly competition between the two.
1: So coming into the year, I saw Jalen Brown as the more complete player and Jason Tatum as the more offensively gifted player. Tatum's added in that defense. The way he reads passing lanes now as well has just been a great development in his defensive ability. He gets at least one or two steals a game where he just anticipates the pass and jumps the lane. Since then, I've just started believing that Tatum is most likely the more complete player. I like the fact that there's a rivalry between those two guys, though, because that's what pushes both guys onto greatness. And that's, you see it all the time, right? With those two players, Jordan and Pippin, LeBron and D Wade, or LeBron and Bush. Having one guy succeeding just that slightly bit more than you is enough to push you to that next level. And you guys just keep fighting until you both reach a level that's championship quality.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like in a good, that's why I said like a friendly rivalry. I I don't think that the guys dislike each other or anything. And I think Tatum is clearly going to be the superior guy at this point. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it definitely Tatum is coming to his own. And there was maybe an argument that Jalen should have made an all-star game as well, potentially. But yeah, I mean, Jason's Jason's defense has been ridiculous this year, off ball specifically, and on ball. Like I've been somewhat impressed with him getting through screens. Um, I, I think he's done a good job of that. And then Jalen has uh, good on ball defense and falls asleep way too often off ball. Still, like that really needs to get cleaned up. But they're they're definitely growing to complement each other. And since that All Star break, I mean, Jason Tatum's just been absolutely ridiculous.
1: The only thing in this entire conversation that's disappointed me was how you didn't recognize how good a segue I used from Embiid to Tatum. Everything else has been phenomenal.
0: (laughs) It was very smooth. It was very smooth. I'll give you your credit.
1: It was extremely professional level podcasting at its finest. That was my Joel Embiid moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even catch that.
1: Okay, guys, we're going to head off to break. When we come back, we've got a few more guys that have been putting up numbers in bunches. We'll catch you in a moment. And we're back. So the next goal we need to look at, Brendan, and we I was giggling about this so hard on the phone earlier when we were speaking about it. Bradley Beal. Two nights of fifty plus points, both losses.
0: Yeah, um, I mean the first one when you're playing the Chicago Bulls and you drop fifty and lose, don't really know how to feel about that one. Um, Like, uh, yeah, that's that's terrible. I mean, there is like I've sent you the video. That's getting super popular of like Beal sitting on the bench, shaking his head. He looks all mad. Um, But I mean, yeah. And then Thaddeus Young drops 23 because, I mean, there's no defense anywhere on the Wizards, which is just always going to be an issue. Like, of course, you can be a top offensive team like that when you just have zero defensive players. Um, But then he drops 55 the next night, which both were career highs, by the way. Literally, back-to-back nights, he drops 108 points, um, but then loses in an over... They go to overtime against Milwaukee, and he can't pull that one off. Uh, Chris Middleton ended up with 40 points also, and Middleton is just absolutely ridiculous. And Giannis also fouled out of that one uh, with 25 minutes uh, into that game. So, But yeah, Beal is absolutely... Balling out these recent games, putting up numbers.
1: How angry must you be to be playing, to be posting career highs and losing, dude, regularly? Like this guy is literally the only offensive threat that the team has until John Wall returns. I get it; they've got Davis Batons. Okay,
0: so they've got two offensive threats. Let's be fair; their offense is okay, but like, there's just zero defense at all. Okay. Yeah. So it's terrible
1: watching him have to go through that as well, and it it does lead to the the idea of he's gonna become disillusioned in on that team if it continues to go that way.
0: Yeah. I mean. Okay. So there was this tweet that kind of blew up in a way from Max Carlin, Celtics blog. Right. Did you see this? You know what I'm talking about.
1: Considering he's part of Celtics blog, I actually did not see this tweet. I'm sorry,
0: Max. He said, it's functionally impossible to be as good as some people think Beal and Trey are and be on teams as bad as they are. So pretty much, like, you can't be that good of a player if your team is this bad. Like, people think they are absolutely ridiculous players, but they can't be if their team is just this terrible. Um, And there's a good amount of people that agree with that, and there's a good amount of people that are saying that they just don't agree with that at all. Um, That, like, you can be... A great player on a really bad team. Um, and it's not like Max is saying that these guys are not good players or anything, um, but he's just saying they cannot be great players and be on terrible teams. It's not like you're borderline playoff teams, it's your terrible teams, and people are saying that you're a top 20 player. And it's like, is that really possible?
1: I don't think so. I feel like there comes a point where you're either good enough to win or you're not.
0: So if you're... Yeah, and if, team team matters. But, like, I mean, if you're up there, you can carry it, you know?
1: Yeah, like, just guys that LeBron did it earlier in his career, career with Cleveland, right? Like, that one roster LeBron was on with Cleveland was terrible. And he still carried them to, what was it, the Eastern Conference Finals?
0: Yeah, I mean, LeBron's a bit of an outlier, but yeah, that is like a situation like that. You know, and Giannis is probably, yeah.
1: Using an extreme example, but it's the point that we're trying to make, right? Like, if you're that good, then your supporting cast only needs to do exactly that, support you, and you will carry the rest of the load.
0: Right, and like, I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, your supporting cast is terrible on the Wizards, but like for you to not be able to regularly get wins because, I mean, also Bradley Beal doesn't play any defense really. Um, I don't know. I, I guess he somewhat can and just isn't because he has a major offensive load, which is somewhat understandable there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. And, like, props to Beal. I mean, he's an amazing scorer, and I think he's going to be a really good piece on – a on a different team at some point. Wouldn't be surprised me if, you know, this offseason. It sucks he signed that extension. He was supposed to be the guy this this break that was going to be some sort of big deal that someone like Denver makes. You know, Denver with him would be... A, a, he would be a threat in Denver.
1: While we're on Denver and we were just talking about Javall and I just want to quickly look back and then I'll discuss my thoughts on Bill. Who are you ranking as the better center between Embiid and Jokic?
0: Mm. I mean this is interesting. They're really close. Um
1: but like does Jokic playmaking put him above Embiid because he can facilitate?
0: I think so. And I think that is more consistent. And my issue here is that like Embiid, you don't know what you're getting every night. Like if you're giving me the best version for one night, I'm taking Embiid easily. Like Embiid can be the best player in the league. Can Jokic be that? He can get close. I don't know. Um, Jokic adds that free ball and he adds
1: the, the passing ability, but you lose a lot in terms of pace of play. And
0: defense. Jokic is a better defender than people give him credit for, but he's not like... Embiid is defensive player of the year when he's locked in.
1: Yeah, it's just a question that came to mind because Embiid was saying he was the best. And then I'm like, well, Jokic is really close, if not better than what you are.
0: Yeah, they're close. It's definitely on any given night, either one can top the other.
1: So looking back at Bradley Bill, to begin the season, myself and you, we had a lot of conversations regarding the Wizards cap space and how moving Bill was probably the best thing to to actually help that team progress over the next few years because of how bad their cap situation is after that albatross of a contract they gave to John Wall. If he went to Denver, I see Denver as like a legitimate contender, like all the way legitimate contender.
0: Yeah, I mean, me too. I think that Denver definitely needs another piece like that, and someone they can kind of go to. I think Beal has a little bit of clutchness to him and, Yeah, I mean, I think that would have been interesting, but that's not the case. And maybe they're thinking that John Wall, when he comes back, is going to be a serviceable, positive player. And then you have Beal next to him. And, you know, I mean, I said Washington was terrible, and they are. But at the same time, they're not. They're somehow the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference, you know. Like, when Wall comes back, they really could be making the playoffs in the East.
1: Yeah, and when you're looking at, like, Wall and Beal together, I said this previously I've said it a few times now it feels like they're looking over at what Portland did with CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard and they were like we're going to wait for the injuries and we're really going to persevere with this tandem of guards and hope that it works because Portland did that with McCollum and Lillard and now they're reaping the benefits I feel like they're freakily good playing together and that's kind of what Washington are looking to replicate which gives us another world class segue into the last segment I'm just getting so good at these segues. I'm loving it. Um, so we're recording this before Boston play Portland, simply because I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. to record a podcast. It's not happening, sorry. There's no Kemba Walker, but there's no Damian Lillard either. So that evens the level playing field out a little bit. The traveler. some of the players stayed behind in LA for Kobe Bryant's memorial. Completely understand, completely support that decision. How are you expecting this game to go? Are you expecting Boston to? Should Boston win comfortably? They've got more pieces available, or are you, or are we expecting McCollum to just go off and do what some guards tend to do against this Boston defense once penetrating?
0: No, I mean the the Celtics should win comfortably. Like honestly, Portland is not good. This Tate year, them for eh? fifty. I I don't know. Like I mean, they have. I guess decent defenders, but like you should be able to attack the rim pretty often. Like, I, I whiteside's there. I mean, I, I never know how to feel about whiteside. Like, he's a rim protector, I guess. Like, he is. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a game where you get 20 from across the board. You know, you get 20 from Dalen, 20 from Jason, 20 from Hayward. Um, It definitely could be a Gordon game because, like, you know, if if Carmelo's guarding him, like, I think that Portland is just such a mess and going to make tiny little mistakes that Gordon's just going to be able to pick that apart uh, just with this slow-paced offense. But, yeah, I mean, and then a bench unit, whoever you have running that second unit for Boston when you're going against freaking Anthony Simons, Wenyan Gabriel, Hazonia, uh, rookie Nasir Little. Like actually, year Little might be second year at this point, um, but yeah, it's it's not. Uh, it, it really, I think it should be a walk in the park for Boston.
1: I'd agree, and I do like the idea of Hayward having another good night. I like it when Hayward does well; makes me feel vindicated in my unwavering support. I don't feel like this is a this is a team, and I'm talking about Portland at this point that can really offer too much resistance against what Boston's got going on offensively. It, for the bench unit, I want to see more from Brad Wanamaker after that terrible game he had against the Lakers. And it does feel like when he goes up against these veteran guys like Ronda, that he has poorer nights. I just feel like they've got a few more nuances to their game that he hasn't developed yet. And he probably won't because of his age. He's still a solid second-string point guard. I'm not knocking him. I feel like you could do a lot worse than Brad Wanamaker. But some of the decisions he made in that game were questionable at best, and I'm hoping to see him bounce back in this game.
0: Yeah, it definitely would be nice. And, I mean, the question I think of is, who do you think is best to cover Hassan Whiteside? Is it just Cantor?
1: Yeah, like if you're going for Ns Canter, then you're going because you're expecting Whiteside to be just banging down low and canter has got the biggest body on the roster so without Williams there to absorb that impact. And that's going to be enough to kind of throw Whiteside off his game. And then it's going to be a boxing out job. It's going to be everybody has to box out. Everybody has to make sure that their assignments on the defensive glass are met in order to secure the rebound because Whiteside will eat on the glass given a millimeter of space on those box sides.
0: Right. Yeah, I think a Cantor and Whiteside battle uh, is going to happen at some point. You're going to see definitely some rebounding going on and fighting for positioning down low that, I don't know, I think Cantor will come out on top in most of those because I think Whiteside just overwhelms with his physical abilities and doesn't necessarily have great positioning at times. But yeah, as long as Whiteside's not you know, dropping 30 points or something, you hold Whiteside to 20 or under max, um, which, you know, he's averaging, what, like, you got like 15 points here. Yeah, 15.8 on the year. If you hold him near his average, I think you're fine because, I mean, Portland's a full offensive team. Um, Celtics should have no issues scoring, but the only, and with no Lillard, like, CJ's gonna, I'm not all too worried about, Uh, Jalen or Jason guarding CJ there. Uh, Marcus even guarding CJ. The one guy I would worry about is Whiteside. So as long as he's not somehow dropping 30 points on you, I think that this one should be easy.
1: I'd expect to see some Grant Williams minutes on Whiteside as well. You think on Whiteside, huh? Yeah, not long. I'm not saying prolonged minutes, but I'm expecting to see that experiment take place. Just because Grant Williams, when he's guarding the bigger guy, does a really good job of getting underneath him, drawing charges, and knocking, getting some tips off the ball. So I'd expect to see him maybe five, six minutes, just as an experiment to see how he deals with somebody as physically imposing. But I would expect to see that experiment happen. And I think Grant Williams has got the defensive IQ to probably win that matchup just because Whiteside, beyond his physical attributes, doesn't have much of a game.
0: Yeah, but he's I mean, he's got a lot of physical attributes over Grant, you know, like, yeah, it's gonna it's true. gonna be all about stripping it from him before he goes up. But like you said, I mean, if you get that steal, you are outrunning Whiteside, no question.
1: Yeah, or you draw the charge. That's what Williams has been doing quite well. He's been getting right under guys, so when they go up, if he if the contact's made, it's a charge, an offensive foul. Yeah. So they'll try and utilize that. At points, if if the Celtics decide to go small, because Cantor hasn't been great since the All-Star break. He's been quite error-prone. So you'd be, if Cantor's having another night where he's struggling defensively, I think that hip's bothering him a little bit. Then you might see them go small and try Grant on him. Or if they really want to take throw, throw, throw the dice, take a roll of the dice, throw smart on the guy. See what he does against Marcus
0: Smart? <laughs> it definitely came into my mind. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I just hope that you're comfortable enough that you get to play with things like that, you know, because this is a guy that, um, you know, you can kind of emulate a, hmm, I was going to say like emulate almost a Joel Embiid sort of matchup, just when you're only, only, only when you're talking about like size, you know, and that's why yeah, I like. Physique yeah that's literally the only thing, obviously, they are extremely different players. But if you get to play around with matchups against this just ginormous seven foot two forty guy, then you know it should be a good thing. but again, I mean, they should be comfortable. The offense should be a walk in the park and the defense as long as Whiteside's not taking you over, just focus everyone on c j and you're good so
1: to end the podcast, I want to end with a question. Do you fancy yourself as quite a pickup player? Apparently, you're unguardable at some points, right? That step back, and your nice flashy passing. Which member of the Portland Trailblazers do you not think would be able to guard you in a pickup game?
0: Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> do you think you you think you could dust Mellow in a pickup game? I think he couldn't guard me. I don't think I could guard him.
1: Oh my god! I've got. We we need to see this. i'm Melo's locking you up dude i don't know man who are you picking me i'm picking mccollum mccollum no i don't know about that he ain't dealing with me dude i'll throw the hot sauce on him dude i'm a street ball dude (laughs) i'm gonna make him spin all day long and then just rain jumpers when he's looking for the ball
0: are we only talking about guys that play like can i pick like caleb Swanigan? You can pick Caleb
1: Swanigan. I'm just being super confident in my ability to make that dude look for where the ball's gone.
0: I mean, if we're being real, like, is there really anybody that's, like, locking down anyone on this team? Like, I'm locking
1: down a coach all day. <laughs> not even worried, not even breaking a sweat. I'll do it in jeans and sneakers, dude. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah, if, no, if you... we're both getting dusted against
1: absolutely anybody on that roster.
0: Yeah, if I had to guard someone,
1: like I'm locking you down. There. No, 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 no. Oh, for calm, sure, dude. calm down here. I'm locking you down. You're scoring two points. First no, to twenty-one, no, no. you getting two.
0: We're playing. We're playing to twenty-one by two, and it's gonna end up like thirty to thirty-two. What do you mean
1: by two? We're playing to twenty-one by one, dude. Are no oh, you going free. straight up? Yeah, no freeze. All point. All singles. And you're getting held to two. You're getting oh, okay. Oh, to two, my my butt. right guys you've been listening to the Celtics pod it's always good when Brendan graces us with his presence he'll be back again with us on Sunday because he's alive again he's risen from the dead like Tyson Fury vs Wilder round 1 tasting blood yep then Tyson Fury vs Wilder part 2 Fury decided he wanted to taste blood and that's exactly what he did Just like Fury, I've been giving you the best of British throughout this episode and we'll be back again on Friday with your GM show. Peace.